So welcome to Learn to Listen. This is Mariah, your host, and today we have Brianna with us. She is a former swimmer for University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and now she's very involved with uh, athlete philanthropy because she was a swimmer for um, her university, and now I am so grateful to welcome you as a guest. So welcome, Brianna. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yes, as as well. I'm so excited. And we met, you know, through Athletes for Hope. I'm doing the sports philanthropy program that they have. Um, and I've honestly loved just meeting everyone there. And I really was inspired by your story. So if you wouldn't mind, could you just give um, a couple, you know, major bullet points about how you got involved with community service and philanthropy? Oh my gosh, absolutely. So I was a student athlete from 2015 to 2019 for the University of Tennessee. And when I was at Tennessee, I spent a lot of time working with um, our SAC, our Student Athlete Advisory Committee. And I was uh, co-president my senior year. But through that, I got really involved with how sport is able to influence a community and the positive outcomes that can really occur if you are able to use the platform you have as an athlete and transfer that to the community around you. And I loved swimming and, you know, it was great. I spent so much time doing it. How can you be a student athlete and not be overly committed to it? Like it's Mm -hmm. a little bit of an obsession. And I think that you know, I was never the best athlete on my team. You know, I loved it. I worked really hard, but I was never going to take it to the next level. I was never going to be a professional athlete. So when I was, you know, in my senior year looking at moving on, it was a matter of how can I take the lessons I learned with me from athletics and share it and use my platform for good. So that's how I ended up partnering with Athletes for Hope is to share my mission of swimming. And I'm really lucky in the fact that my sport is also a life skill. So I made some connections with professors at my university who connected me to someone who connected me to someone who then got me to Athletes for Hope. And they were an amazing organization. You've obviously worked with them who take the platform of sport and share it globally and share what prominence you have as an athlete and how you can expand that. So it's through Athletes for Hope that I made a connection with a professor in the Philippines and she brought me out to the Philippines and I spent three months there. I traveled around to almost two dozen different cities and I worked with PE teachers in these local cities to teach kids how to swim. It was a really high rate for pediatric drowning. So that was really how I felt like I could service the world with a skill that felt so normal to me after having swum Oh goodness, like 20 hours a week for <laughs> umpteen years of my life. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I love that you mentioned, you know, like the lessons that you could take with you and use them for good. Um, what would you say, like, if you had to name just a couple of the lessons you learned within athletics that you've carried with you? Oh my goodness. I think first and foremost is how to work hard. I uh-huh. absolutely take it for granted my work ethic. And I think that being a student athlete just really instills that in you. You learn time management, but you learn how to take something you're passionate about and run with it. And I, I didn't realize how unique of a skill that is. And athletes really need to market that skill because like, look at you in this podcast, you have taken something you're passionate about and you're putting an effort towards it. And a lot of people don't have that kind of dedication. So I think that's really one I've used to cultivate in my life is that work ethic. Um, 
unparalleled, absolutely. But I think beyond that, I think it was just a lot of self-awareness because I think if you're an athlete at that elite of a level, you're going to have to be really aware of how you're taking care of your body, what you're putting in so you can get a proper output and also your relationships with people and how you're able to cultivate the best you. And that was something I really struggled with was finding that identity through college. And I think that, you know, by my senior year, I finally was able to come to my own. And I largely thank sport for that experience because it gave me a platform to be myself and it gave me a community. And it also enabled me to find the my own strengths and my own weaknesses and how I can transfer that now into the real world, which is such a weird phenomenon, you know, go from yeah. the sports world to the real world. <laughs> a great skill to have, you know, to have those translational things really that you can take with you. Um, and I certainly relate, you know, we were talking a little bit about how we got to this podca- podcast and whatnot um, and my own background in athletics. And I definitely would have to say work ethic and self-awareness those are something I'll carry with me for the rest of my life. And I know within myself though, I sometimes find that at times I'm almost like too good at being so aware and I can be very hard on myself, which I think a lot of athletes and, you know, perfectionists could relate to. Um, So I guess if you're comfortable sharing, what have been some moments that you could perhaps relate to that or, um, where you kind of had to be a little bit more introspective and tell yourself like nothing's going to be perfect all the time. Oh my gosh, Mariah, you just hit on, I think <laughs> the most fundamentally challenging thing about athletics is you're constantly compared to other people. So naturally you will be so hard on yourself. And that is something that I struggle with every single day. And I thought I would lose that. Like, I thought like maybe when I lost the competitive side, I would lose that like really degrading sense I have of myself, but it turns out I didn't. So it's been something I have to be so consciously aware of. And I think in athletics, it was always like pretty cut and dry. Like I didn't have a good swim. Therefore, this is my fault. But now when I'm in the real world, it's like how in this friendship or this relationship with my manager or my boss, and it's, so easy to just constantly blame yourself. So for me, it's been really about turning that around saying like, well, these are the assets I bring to the table. And I don't think that this was an error on my own. This wasn't me who created the situation. This was the people I can't control everyone else. I can't control the dynamics. So how can I turn around and stop blaming myself for something that wasn't in my control? And to be quite honest, going to the Philippines was the best thing I could do for myself because I was very alone and I didn't have that community that I had here at home at Tennessee when I was at school. I didn't have the people to boost me up and I didn't have the people who knew me really well. So it was a lot about like, okay, this is a hard situation. I am going to learn, I'm going to grow, I'm going to make the best of what I can do, and I'm going to use that to then become a better me, become someone I'm proud of, become stronger, and that it's not a fault, it's just somewhere that you can grow. And I had that so much through college, and I constantly, I was so, so hard on myself. And it's not something I just like mentally flipped a switch and was able to cure. 
which would be lovely, but, (laughs) (laughs) and I think that I, every student athlete can relate to that. Every athlete can relate to that in some capacity. And it's such a challenge to switch that narrative in your life. Mm -hmm. Did you find anything that I know? Cause I've had similar, um, thoughts as well. Like, I don't think there's one pinpoint. It's something that you really have to practice and be like aware and catch yourself when, you know, you're like, taking on that blame. Did you find anything that either inside or outside of athletics, um, that like really, really worked with you? My goodness. So I'm not sure if I've mentioned this and now she'll listen to this podcast and she'll laugh. (laughs) I have one of my big role models in life has been my older sister. She is an Olympic bronze medalist. So she is the elite of the elite. She was um, student athlete for Berkeley, Cal Berkeley. She swam, um, competed in the 2012 Olympics, but she is truly my, my older sister was not only my role model, but now one of my best friends. Mm -hmm. And throughout my swimming career, now my post-athletic career, she is someone I turn to with a lot of my problems and frustrations and having a kind of confidant who A, understands my background and understands who I am and B, can kind of tell me how to reframe a situation. Like that is so helpful. Having someone you can trust and having that level of just confidence and communication with someone. And, you know, I've also found that with a therapist and I think that's an amazing thing. And I think more people should just, I mean, talk therapy is wonders to Mm -hmm. have someone that doesn't judge, that is just there and will kind of boost your confidence, but my sister has really been able to help me a lot. So it's kind of funny that now in situations, I think back and be like, okay, what would my sister say about me in this situation? (laughs) Like (laughs) if she is, she is constantly my cheerleader. And she's also someone who's very hard on me. Like she would be someone who would tell me like, no, you are doing things wrong. But like when I'm really hard on myself, it's being like, okay, am I actually doing something wrong? Or am I just thinking, am I blaming myself incorrectly? So I think for me, it was really about finding a resource of someone you can trust outside of yourself and be honest and open with and have that dialogue with. And it's, yeah, you know, to your teammates in college, my gosh, I had some women who are now still some of my best friends. And I'm so grateful to have built those connections because that's also a group of people that you can just fundamentally trust. Yeah, for sure. I think it's always helpful as well. You know, I think about my own social circles and those who I can, I know I can go to for anything and just being able to kind of take um, a little bit of myself out of the situation and kind of see it from maybe like a, um, like a little bit of a distance. I think that always helps me too, because it kind of seems less overwhelming at that point, you know, when you have someone else there with you, like you're going back and forth, if you're unsure what you should do or how to approach a situation. Um, and I think you talk about your sister in such an amazing light as well. Um, and it does kind of worry me because I get nervous. I think that people just in the world in general, or those that I love, like, don't always feel like they have someone like that. And I think that's one of like the scariest things. Um, and why also I'm such a, um, support, I'm so supportive of talk therapy because I think that gives everyone, you know, their own outlet and not to be judged and just kind of like go through things and have that outside perspective. And I'm curious if you ever felt like it was 
most difficult to take that first step and just go to therapy. And if there was ever like any judgment that you placed on yourself, um, because I think that's possibly one of the hardest things about, you know, just therapy is the stigma that surrounds it. Um, and almost having to like admit that there's something wrong, even though there shouldn't be anything wrong with just talking to people. Oh my goodness. And you are hitting on something that's been, it was really a theme in my later years in college. I had a lot of teammates who struggled with mental health issues. And I think that that's the hardest thing about being an athlete is you're on a platform. So you always want to present your best self. So it's really hard to then present the weaker side of you and to admit that you're struggling. And I don't think that she will mind that I'm sharing her name. And honestly, you should have her on the podcast. She'd be yes. better at this than I am. But one of my teammates, her name was Maddie Bannock. Um, we're one of really good friends. She was in my class. She was an SEC champion, um, an NCAA champion. She's an amazing athlete who went through some really intense uh, mental health struggles. And, um, you know, I was there for her kind of off and on. And I saw part of it and part of it I didn't see. And it was really hard to see someone you love and someone you know so well go through these really intense struggles and not be able to help and also not be able to feel like she can be honest with her team and Mm -hmm. she is now very open and public about this and she has been a really big advocate for um just really about mental health and taking care of yourself because honestly i think that's one of the really dangerous parts of athletics is we treat you, we teach you how to take care of your body, but we don't teach you how to take care of your mind. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but that's why athletics was such a great skill in helping me come into my own and helping me realize my own assets. But it also was really hard for me for a lot of my life, because if you're not going to be the top athlete, then you're going to be constantly doubting yourself. So how can you then take the benefits without maximizing the harm? And Maddie, to all of her credit, taught me a lot. And now looking back, she is still competing as a swimmer and she is one of the strongest women I know. And she is honestly such like an example and a role model for success about how to take a really difficult situation and embody the struggle and then turn around and turn it into something positive that you can share your platform. Mm-hmm. It's really because of her that I think my team in general and really just my community at Tennessee kind of opened up to mental health struggles and was pretty honest. And this is a real part of life. This isn't something we should hide from. Absolutely talk about it because it's not going to change unless you have the culture to change it. I think that's so important. And in the athletic sphere, it is critical. And I don't think we put enough pressure on it as I mean, inside the SEC, inside the NCAA, I think it's a conversation that's becoming more and more common. And I'm really thankful for that because, I mean, look at Michael Phelps. He did a whole campaign on this. I, and yeah. I, it, I think it really helps when you see people that elite of a level just turn around and be honest and say, like, I am good at what I do. And that doesn't make it any easier. For sure. Yeah, I, I honestly, I think it is so important to be talking about and that was part of the inspiration of you know my passion with mental health and whatnot um and I it's so sad to say because as I've gone through college and talked to other athletes you know both at Notre Dame and outside of Notre Dame and across various sports I don't think sadly that it's a unique experience that there's a pretty strong connection between athletics and mental health um and I loved what you said about you know, athletics, we're always taught 
how to treat our physical bodies and, you know, what's the best, um, food to eat and recovery plan and practice and strategy for races and competitions and everything. But we really do sometimes lack that, um, guidance for mentality and how to go about competition and taking care of yourself at the same time. And sadly, I think it's sometimes in the world in general, yes, but in athletics, especially, um, we have this notion that in order for, you know, to have great mental health, your athletic performance has to decrease. And I think that's one of the saddest things to me because, you know, in my own experience, it's completely the opposite. You know, if you have one flourishing, the other usually does as well. Um, and, you know, I loved you sharing your story about your teammate as well. Um, I had a similar experience with one of my teammates and I think it definitely was the hardest part having to see someone you love and see how much, um, they're struggling, but not being able to fix the situation and having myself, it forced me to grow a lot because I had to realize that I had to take my own like optimism and what I thought I wanted to give to make me feel better and to just support her in any way possible. Um, and it, I think it would be a shame for other people not to realize, um, how difficult it truly can be, you know? Absolutely. And I think you just hit on another really important point in working with both my teammate and a lot of other people in my life. It's not about satisfying yourself to help them. Like I am someone who is really talkative. I'm really affectionate. I'm very like, I want to be there and that's not really helpful for every person. So I think really opening up the dialogue about like, what do you need and how can I fill that need? Because every person needs thing, needs something different. And someone should not be ostracized for saying like, Hey, I had a really bad practice and I need to be alone. And that's not a bad thing at all. And I think that opening up that dialogue and just being honest and again, coming back to having that community of people around you who can support you and realize what your goals are to be able to further that in a situation that that is what is so critical. And it's never worth compromising your mental health to get a good athletic performance. I think I can say that after four years, after having (laughs) my athletic career that, you know, I, I went best times in every, in every one of my main events in college. You know, I, I got better as an athlete in college. And I think another really important part of my background is I had a lower level spinal fusion when I was 16. I had spinal surgery um, to correct a fractured vertebrae. And so I went into college at a disadvantage. And I also went into college with the mentality that I was going to be my sister. And that was really discordant with each other. So that was troubling. And then it was about, A, I'm not my sister. B, I'm not defined by an injury, but I do need to be aware of what that injury, the practical implications of the injury in my life now. And I think that every person comes to the table with those expectations and those limitations and understanding what your goal is to get out of it was so important and so relevant. And I can look back now and say that I competed on a team of wonderful women and I had amazing coaches and I grew so much as a person and my athletic performance is kind of an aside from that. I 
cannot tell you a single time I went. I mean, I probably can if I think back on it, but like not exactly like. Of course. That, right. Yeah, that that is so trivial now. But the moments that I spent and, you know, the defining character traits, like that is what I'm proud of. It was getting me to a position where I thought I could be enough of a leader to go spend three months on my own. That that was the asset that sport gave me. And I think that undermining that by saying that, you know, I didn't compete in the NCAA championship my senior year would be a shame that that's not, that that was not the defining factor of my athletic career. And it's not what I think back. And I don't think that's what my coaches or teammates would say about me either. And that was really hard to acknowledge in the moment, but now, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm proud of what I've done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It gets easier, you know, as time goes on and you're, you're more removed from it, of course. Um, yeah, I had a similar experience as well. I was injured my sophomore year. I broke a rib. Um, and I still, yeah, <laughs> um, I still struggle to articulate, I think why it was so difficult having, um, an injury, but it almost just, it, in a weird way, it just feels like you're being held back when, you know, all you want to do is excel and there's something that like physically is limiting or limiting you. And then you're the mental aspect of it just gets like way tougher. Cause usually the physicality of it isn't a factor, but just one more thing, um, added in. And I have to say it, I have an amazing team as well. I absolutely love them. And if it wasn't for them, I probably wouldn't be finishing out, um, four years of, collegiate rowing. And I think that truly is one of the biggest factors is looking at that team culture and the support, um, that, you know, lies within it. Yeah. It's really, it's really interesting how much the team culture can kind of interpret your own identity. Like how do you contribute in that team setting and what do you contribute? And like you said, being injured, it's difficult and, adds an entirely other layer of mental coping like how are you going to deal with this if you can't contribute in the way you originally thought you would and I think I like you I think I always set the goal that I was going to make it four years if I wasn't the best athlete on my team I at least right yeah say that I finished right? <laughs> and I did and it was you know an amazing experience and I entirely took it for granted that community that I had because you graduate and you move on and you're like, wait, you mean my best friends don't live next door? Like I'm not around this amazing group of people 20 hours a week. Like I don't have that community that has that intense purpose and common goal anymore. And it's kind of weird and upsetting. And I totally took it for granted that I had these people who are willing to support me unconditionally. And I think that, you know, I'm lucky in the fact that I also have that in my family, but you know, a lot of people don't have that support system outside of that college setting and really just the team setting in general, the sports setting. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts of sports is having people who will just be by your side, rain or shine. I remember one day I got out of the pool and I was walking down the pool deck and I just had the most upset face. I had such a bad race and I was throwing like a personal temp temper tantrum. And I went to go high five my coach like I always did because we always high fived him. And he just, instead of like high-fiving, letting go, he like high-fived and held onto my hand and pulled me back a little bit. And he said, Bree, I don't care how bad your race was. You're going to put a smile on your face because your teammates think it's a good race. And you're not going to go turn around and tell them and bring them down. And it was like a moment of realization where you're like, okay, 
I guess the way I act affects other people. So I'm going to turn around and make the best of this situation. You know, it wasn't great, but I learned and here's what I can do better for the next time. And that in itself is such a useful skill as well. <laughs> for sure. I mean, what a great coach, you know, to like realize that and the influence that you can have on your team is, you know, across all four years, right? Like I've had similar moments as well, um, where teammates, you know, like it is all about the mentality of how you approach things. Cause if you're going into a test piece or a race or whatever, and you're thinking like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be terrible. I'm not going to do well. I'm not going to PR. You'll probably make you know, self-fulfilling prophecy, probably make that true for yourself. Um, And I found some of my biggest leaders on my own team were the ones who would be like, oh yeah, it's going to be difficult, but we're going to make it through and we're going to do our best. And that's, you know, it is what it is and how we're going to, you know, like build that mental toughness. And I kind of want to circle back around because, you know, you said earlier it was difficult um, to find your own identity and how to be unique. Cause you were very self-aware and you knew, um, like your position or your role on the team. So how did you kind of navigate, um, you know, finding your own self? That is such a great question. And I think the best way to answer that is I use my resources because in a college setting, at least in my college setting, I was really fortunate to have a lot of those resources. So to me, it wasn't about like if I was not going to be the best athlete, it was how I could maximize the experience I was having to then grow into the person I wanted to be. And I think that knowing that my athletic career was going to end when I graduated was something that I was fortunate enough to be pretty aware of that I was going to pour myself into athletics for those four years. And after that, it was about how could I use this experience to help me in the next phase of my life. So Really, I think that coming into my own and finding my own identity was getting plugged into programs that better suited my strengths. And that was how I got involved with the Student Athletic Advisory Committee. That was how I I started coaching for an inner city swim team where a lot of the kids were kids who had never swum before. They were scared of water. They didn't have families to encourage them that they only did a sport because it was mandatory for them to stay in this program. And you know, working with that program was also really humbling, just getting plugged into the community and also realizing that, you know, Tennessee has this obnoxiously bright shade of orange. And (laughs) on on meet days, we used to wear orange sweats and orange pants and orange shoes. We looked like carrots or jailbreak, whatever whatever you want to think. And that people really respected that orange, that when I was wearing that, I embodied something so much bigger than myself. So people didn't know that when I wore that orange that I was the third pace finisher in the meet last week. No one knew that. They just saw that, wow, you're an athlete who made it to this level. So how can I then use the platform that other people thought I had to help me grow? And you said I had a lot of self-realization. I think that came really a lot later in life and especially looking back on it because it age 19 or 20, I was definitely not, I would not have given you this same speech. I think I would have been a lot different. I would have been like, you know, I'm fighting to achieve something better in athletics. And, but I spent a lot of time helping my teammates in the classroom. That was really important to me was to help them maximize their educational experience. I, you know, spent a lot of time 
um, working in the hospital. I did a lot of job shadowing. So it was really about using my community around me. And I was really fortunate to have a lot of people who believed in me outside of the pool as well as inside the pool. And I think that's so important for people is finding out what's important to you. And it's honestly okay if that isn't sport, that this is something that just because you spent so much of your life and so much energy to be an athlete and to make it to this level, you don't have to make that your defining characteristic. And for the longest time, like I remember freshman year, first class, it was Calc 2 on a Monday morning. I was had soaking wet hair. I was late to class because I was running from the bus. And my teacher, who was some PhD student looking back on it, was super awkward guy. He was like, my professor was like, okay, everyone say a fun fact about yourself. And I was the closest one to the door because I was the last one in the class. So I'd start, it was an 8 a.m. It was terrible. Never took 8 a.m. Regret that. As much as possible. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I remember I said, I'm a swimmer. Like that was my fun fact about myself. And now it's really weird. Like if you ask me today, what's my fun fact about myself? I think I would say like, you know, I have worked with 150 kiddos in my job in the last year. I think that, you know, I, I don't know. I took up Peloton riding. I got really into baking bread. Like it wouldn't be strictly, that wouldn't be the main descriptor of myself. Like I don't say, hi, my name's Brianna Leverens. I'm on the swim team. I is now like, hi, my name is Brianna and this is who I am as a person. I try not to, you know, give my job first or give, you know, my sport first. It's who I am. And that's really taken a long time to come and own up to that. Who actually am I? Uh-huh. For sure. I feel like it's such an easy, I, as you're, you know, saying that story, I'm like, oh my gosh, the amount of times I've probably done that just because, you know, you're like, oh, fun fact, like it's something about you whatever it's so easy to just fall back on that um (laughs) there's a little bit of humor in there as well so I definitely definitely relate to that um but you know just kind of going along with that as well and I'm also just genuinely curious was service um always something you know even before college that you were passionate about or was it really those resources at um University of Tennessee Knoxville that you were able to kind of you know get that um, passion and support for community service and to go and teach kids how to swim in the Philippines oh my gosh I think I would like to think that this has always been something that's been a part of who I am that from my first freshman year on campus this was something that was important to me and I wanted to get involved in you know I probably attribute that to the way my parents raised me is you know, I've been very fortunate in my life. I have been able to, I've been able to be involved in a sport that is very expensive. You know, fundamentally sport isn't cheap. And I, I've never had to wonder where my next meal is coming from. And I have always been able to compete at the level I wanted to compete at. And I am beyond grateful for my parents providing me those resources. So now it's in turn about how I can use the resources I was given to, help other people. And it didn't take its shape naturally. It looked different at every phase of my life. You know, what that volunteering or service looked like in my community. And at Tennessee, I was really fortunate. I think one of the coolest things I got to do, which was entirely by circumstance, I was like scrolling through Twitter and I found this woman who 
makes um, hats for kids with cancer. Her mom had cancer and um, her name is Rebecca Dodson. She totally does a podcast now too. She's amazing. I should send this to her. She's awesome. Shout out to Rebecca. I miss you. You're great. Um, Scrolling through Twitter and I found her Twitter and this was so cool. She gave hats out to kids in the local children's hospital. So I just messaged her on Twitter. I'm like, Hey, my name's Brianna. I'm an athlete. I'd love to get involved. She's like, great. So I dressed up as Elsa or Anna. I can't remember who. And I went and gave out hats to kids Mm -hmm. in the children's hospital. And it was amazing. And that was such a like, a unique empowering experience. So that was something fun. But then it was about like, we did a program called Goals for Girls and we mentored young girls in the community and we gave them life skills. So it was, they looked up to us. Like I showed up with my messy swimmer bun and wet hair and somehow these girls still thought that what I was teaching oh, them. Sure. I'm sure that made it, you know, all more real, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it's so empowering to be able to give back. And that's really how I've always found my sense of purpose is sharing what I have with others. So when it came time to a wrap up swimming, but then B, I was like, you know, swimming is also, it's given me so much in life, but it's also meant like, I can't travel because I always have practice and I haven't been able to see the world and experience different cultures. So I was like, I want to figure out how I can do that. So I spent a lot of time and effort into figuring out what that would look like. And when I made this connection with Geraldine is this woman's name in the Philippines, she said, you know, Hey, there is a pretty high drowning rate for kids here. And I looked up the statistics and it's true because they had a stigma against um, learning to swim. So for me, that was like, Oh, this is a niche, a niche I can fill. Like this is something I can help. It's something I can do. So then it was, how can I actually make this possible. So the fundraising and the actual, um, you know, asking people for money is always stressful. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so the fundraising and then the actual, like, okay, what am I going to teach them? So I reached out to coaches that I had worked with in the past and mentors that I had had in the swimming field. Like how can I alone actually teach these people? And even then I still, you know, packing my bag the day before the trip, I'm utterly terrified. Like I made my mom take the day off of work because I was like, am I prepared? Am I qualified to do this? And I don't think I knew what it was going to look like until I got there. But I think that's one of the biggest things about services, at least for me, was jumping in with both feet. And how can I be a part of this community and realize what this community needs, which turned out when I was there that these communities also needed someone to promote sport and to tell these kids the value of exercising and the value of making a commitment and sticking with it. So I didn't even realize how my narrative to that point was going to change what I did there. So it wasn't just swimming. You know, I taught swimming in springs. I taught swimming in bays. I taught swimming in a couple pools, but like every body of water you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And that was a little bit what I expected, but, you know, meeting people and getting to share my story was entirely not what I was expecting. And it was so fulfilling to see how my story can impact these people, how what I have encountered in my life meant something to them, that what I achieved as an athlete was impressive to these people. And it inspired them to pick a sport and stick with it. And that was honestly life-changing and fulfilling in so many levels to hear that I could support these people. That was 
such a great gift to me. <laughs> like it was yeah, for sure. Are there any long story? I apologize. <laughs> oh no, no, no. I love it. Honestly, that's so inspiring to hear. And those are that, you know, is what makes it all worth it. And like the craziness of the world, it's something that truly humbles you, you know, um, when you have experiences like that. And while you're telling the story, I was just sitting here in awe because I think, you know, you're so amazing and going to the Philippines and truly impacting so many lives. Um, it's such a rewarding experience, I'm sure. And I'm blessed to just even hear about it. So um, I'm curious if there was like ever any reactions or, you know, a story that stands out when you were telling your story about um, the importance of, you know, making a commitment because kids are so impressionable. Um, and, you know, I, I expect, or I, you know, would think that kids kind of um, would have no filter and, just express, you know, um, what's on their mind. So if anything like ever stood out or anything, um, while you were over there, something that was said to you, I could give you a million and one stories, but I think one of the best ones in this really embodies it. So <laughs> point of qualification, the Philippines are very, it's a very hot country. It's a very humid country <laughs> and I have really curly hair. So I remember my hair was like a complete Afro that day. I was pouring sweat. I had just, you know, I had, I was at this local public school and I was in a city, it's called Cagayan de Oro and someone dropped me off there in the morning and they said, I'll come back for you in a couple hours. And I was, I, I gave them my presentation as normal because by this point I had been there, I don't know, six, eight weeks. And this was something that I had had like fine tuned now, like here's my PowerPoint presentation. Let me just give you a little bit about myself. But then all of these young girls, these were all athletes for local middle and high schools or about the equivalent. And it was really interesting because at first the girls wouldn't ask me questions. They would like whisper them to their teacher and they wouldn't ask them to me. And to be fair, a lot of them were not confident in their English. They spoke Tagalog or Visayas some of the local dialects. And so they felt like they couldn't ask me questions in English. They were so nervous. But then finally, after like asking like five or six questions between these little, these, these young girls, they finally, someone just got emboldened enough that they like stood up and asked me the questions themselves. But it was really interesting, the questions I got and it was different every place I went and I was never really prepared for what they would be. It was everything from like, why did you start swimming? Which, you know, that one I kind of expected to like, what did you eat to keep swimming? And like, how do you, what was your sleep schedule like? And then it was like, how do you keep going on days when it's hard? And that was just so blatantly honest. And these people tell me like, well, this is really hard. And you know, my body's changing. I had someone, they asked me a lot of like self-confidence questions. You know, as a swimmer, I was wearing barely any clothing and uh, this that was not really culturally appropriate in this place so it was you know interesting to hear people ask me questions about like my own body image and how I was able to cope with that as a student athlete and these you know everyone from like eight-year-olds to like 15 16 year olds were asking me such empowering questions and just really deep questions that I think that I would never have asked a perfect stranger when I was their age, but they felt confident in doing it. And, you know, seeing them, you know, own up to whatever their questions were. So by the end of it, you know, I had like no one asking me questions. And then I think 
supposed to be a 30 minute presentation and two hours later I'm sitting there and the whole audience has their hands raised and this is about like 200 kids packed into a room where there should be about 15 people and the teachers were all standing at the doors like peering in and there's people outside listening to me and they you know they asked me they gave me microphones that way people outside the room could hear because everyone wanted to listen to what I had to say which was humbling beyond imagine so I tried to be you know, very respectful and careful of what I was saying to make sure that the narrative that I was sharing was a healthy and positive one to tell people commit to something and be excited about it and let that help push you in life and inspire you. And it was, you know, so gratifying, but I think the funniest experience after that, everyone's like, okay, can we take pictures? And people were like shoving each other out of the way to take pictures with me. I like truly in every city I went to, I became a local celebrity and it was, it was hilarious. And it was like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to get overly confident about this. I'm not actually a celebrity, but it was, it you was so, it, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I definitely don't, I don't deserve it, but it was just, it was really sweet. And I realized that I was kind of the first of, I was the first person to prevent to present a narrative like I did to these kids and these teachers that they never really met someone like me. So, you know, with that power comes, you know, it, great responsibility. It says that like Superman or something. Um, <laughs> One of those. It, <laughs> some superhero. And it, it, I really felt that, that what I was saying was sticking with these people to the point where I still have people Facebook message me all the time asking me questions and asking how I am and and it was you know, I that environment wasn't necessarily unique but the other thing I always tried to take from it was to ask them questions because I wanted to understand their unique experience to help you know me better answer their questions but also to help me grow because I think that constantly thinking that your way of thinking that the way you grow up is, is automatically right. That's such a dangerous way to think. So for me, it was experiencing their local culture. You know, these kids taught me how to dance. They were tried to, I'm a terrible dancer. They taught me their local songs. They tried to teach me words in their language. Like it was such a great experience to share knowledge and to, yeah, to teach hopefully and to also gain knowledge back. And it was like I said, unbelievably rewarding. I'm sure. I mean, even, you know, as you're sharing, like thinking about little girls asking about like self-confidence and body image um, and things like that, it truly inspires me and just, you know, like I can't imagine how rewarding it is to have, um, you know, all those little girls and even teachers you were saying you know like looking up to you and wanting to engage with you and have um all these great conversations and I'm curious as well how did you you know kind of like have that confidence to you know put yourself out there and to be a leader and to impact and have an impact on their lives like how did you trust yourself enough to do that <laughs> such a great question I have no idea um <laughs> it didn't happen overnight and it didn't happen all at once and I think that by the end of the trip the narrative I was presenting was a lot different than one at the beginning of the trip and 
I think this is such a an interesting story and it's like so foreboding for 2020 but the week I got there which was the beginning of January the Philippines had the biggest volcanic eruption they've had in 50 years and I was suddenly trapped inside a hotel room with no one I know and my family's like a 14 hour time change away so like I can't even like talk to them because they're all asleep when I'm awake and there's ash covering everything, just like layers of ash. And we were wearing masks outside so you don't bring in, breathe in the sulfur. And I remember sitting there in that moment, like, I cannot do this. Like, I can't do this. I'm lonely. I'm scared. I don't know what I'm going to be able to help these people who have now had their community decimated by a volcanic eruption. But then the next week I started swimming with these kids and the one pool that we are able to clean out and get the ash out of, which was crazy. But the kids, you know, this first group, and I will forever remember them, they slowly started asking me more and more questions. And at first, they're all terrified of me. And then I realized that it, it wasn't about what I brought to the table, it was how I could approach what questions they had and what they needed in their specific area. So that's why I say my narrative kind of grew and changed, because I think I got better at understanding the Filipino culture, which was so important because it was so different from what I knew. So kind of understanding where they were coming from and then being able to approach that. And it, you know, confidence, it was absolutely a part of it. And I think I'm really grateful to have grown into the person I am today and to, yes, absolutely have that confidence to get in a plane. But I think it'd be a disservice to say that it was not terrifying at times that I didn't have times when I was unbelievably lonely and unbelievably unconfident in what I was doing and, you know, didn't necessarily believe the narrative that I was saying that I was having a bad day and it was really hard to tell these kids that like this is that what I have done in my life is absolutely the best thing ever when, you know, I was struggling. But then I think back to the days where like, I went swimming with whale sharks. How cool is that? Like that was an unbelievably magical experience that one of my last days in the Philippines, I woke up at four o'clock in the morning and I went dragon boat racing, which is actually, it's kind of similar to rowing, but like paddle. Uh-huh. Yes. With, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, with this group of people who they're in the Philippines, they classify them as people with disabilities. So these are polio survivors, amputees. These are um, folks who are deaf and they welcomed me in and taught me their skill. And I remember watching the sunrise over this bay. It was just, I just had to stop and just, wow, this was the experience I got all because I took a chance and taking that chance is such a struggle. And I don't think it ever gets easier to put yourself out there and get into a new environment. But once I was there, it was like, how can I not how can I not just be so excited and thrive when I'm around people who are just so vibrant and encouraging and willing to listen and share. So it was really encouraging to put myself in a position and then receive that feedback back. And I also tried to take in the negative feedback. Like when people, when I said things that didn't necessarily jive with the folks that I was with, they're like, okay, take note of that. That's not something that is appreciated. And you know, start again. And again, wasn't a reflection of me, just a reflection of the situation and the scenario. So that's to say confidence didn't necessarily happen overnight. And it was, you know, a, every week and every day looked a lot different. And I'll tell you the last week I was there, COVID was, you know, 
raining down on us. Airports were closing. I couldn't get a flight out. I was sitting alone in the hotel room at midnight crying, thinking like, how can I get a plane home to my family? That was the exact opposite of confident in that moment in time. Like, okay, I had this amazing experience and now it's devolving. (laughs) I'm just terrified. I think a whole pandemic, you know, that's a pretty good excuse to (laughs) to get a plane out of here early. And it was, it was crazy, the whole situation, but, you know, absolutely just being in the moment and meeting folks where they are at. I think that's not true of just the Philippines. That's true of everywhere is actually listening to what someone has to say and responding appropriately. I think the value of community of people is so important and fundamental in building up who you are in your own confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And honestly, that's, you know, like one of the best gifts or lessons I've learned is, and you said this before, when you were talking about, you know, making sure to ask questions of the people you're talking to and just fully understanding um, their perspective, because, you know, that's like part of the inspiration of this podcast is, trying to learn more from the stories of others and just you know that's why I chose the name being able to learn and listen but to listen to learn as well um and with that I know you have to go onto your amazing jobs and work with the kiddos um but I want to thank you from honestly the deepest you know spot in my heart because you truly are an inspiration and I loved hearing about your story even more um and being able to chat with you. So thank you again, you know, just for giving me a little piece of your day. Oh my gosh. And Mariah, thank you for A, caring about people like me, because I think that's amazing. And B, for sharing your story along the way, because I mean, I feel like I've like given a shout out to so many powerful women in my life throughout this podcast, but I think that listening to people and taking the chance to learn and share is what makes a huge difference. And looking back on those relationships in my life that have gotten me here are so important. So it's, I think what you're doing is so amazing and inspiring to take the time out of your life to share a story and that you will then be that inspiring woman to someone else one day. And I mean, already you have clearly such a passion to serve and to help. And it's really joyous for me to get to even be a small part of your narrative. So thank you for what you're doing and keep changing lives because this is, it's wonderful. And I'm really looking forward to listening to future podcast episodes and seeing what else you have to say. (laughs) That's so kind of you. Thank you. And I will, you know, of course, make sure to keep you updated. Um, Please do. Please do.